Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tone Aries podcast. I am your host, James Ennard, joined by my good friend, Timmy Lamb. Hi, everyone. Rowan is on the deck. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. And we're just waiting for two patrons to come down and observe a podcast and mm. sit on the couch in our lovely new studio. This is our second week in the studio, um, and it's going to be our third podcast down here. I've been very happy with the last two. Mm, me so too. going forward, we're going to lead into the upcoming interview. With a short five or ten minute piece from me and Timmy. Mm. So this is it. Timmy, how are you? I'm very, very well, James. Uh, mentally, but I feel a little bit under the weather at the moment. You physically. look a bit random. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm a bit of pain. <laughs> my body is. Uh, my back bones are rattling inside my skin. So, is it cold? Uh, no, it's not too bad. But I'm. My whole body is vibrating. Let's say less. Is it just random from work? I think so. I think so. The, the kids were a little bit random last week and there was no COVID, thankfully. But, yeah. um, and Tommy, my brother, got one as well and he'd no COVID. So. And I had the flu myself. I was out of work for three days, yeah. but it wasn't COVID, thankfully. It's but. the change of the weather. It's, yeah. it's, it always happens, the change of weather. And, and it happens in March and April as well when we go from the cold into the hotter weather. Also as well, over the last two years, we've been so careful with hand sanitization and masks that it's, our immune systems are probably weakened. Mm. I know things are being relaxed again and we're getting hit with all this stuff that we would have fallen off easily. Yeah, but yeah. because we've been so careful, our, yeah. our bodies like, oh, we don't need to be so strong anymore because he's yeah. he's washing his hands more often. <laughs> but anyway, we did a podcast last night mm. with Jody Murray and that's what the lads are going to be listening to after this. Mm. What did you make of it? Um, Jory was, you know, I found him to be an, a very, very nice man, very relaxed, mellow, you know, you real sense of calmness around him. Um, his story was, in my eyes, was very, very inspirational. Yeah, without giving too much away. That's what I was conscious of. There was a lot to it. There was a lot to it and it was very interesting and it was pure chilled out conversation. I will say this one thing, right? You don't have to be a a city bird to become destroyed from criminality and and addiction. Or a country folk get it too. Yeah. And uh, so I hope everybody enjoys that. This is the first podcast where we're having two patrons down to mm. observe and we'll be doing this regularly. Not for every guest because it wouldn't be appropriate to have a live audience in front of somebody that mm. may be uncomfortable with. But Stan North is our guest tonight. Mm. And uh, so we're having two patrons down, Deirdre Romani and her sister, whom I can't remember right now. In, is it in there? No, in the cancelled. Oh, is she? So okay. it's Deirdre and her sister 
and um, we're just waiting on them down so it's great to invite patrons down it is and to get them to share this whole experience with them because at the end of the day they're the ones who pay it exactly so, exactly um, and just to shout out to the patrons again thank you so much for this you know um, everybody can see what we're after doing to the studio below here and it's absolutely amazing and and I hope everybody gets an opportunity to come in here every one of you Exactly, and uh, no, it's great, and we've got big announcements coming as well this week, yeah. which we will hold back on for now. So, without further ado, we will introduce Jory Murray, and we'll see everybody next week. God bless. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Two Narries Podcast. I'm your host, James Enner, joined by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan the decks as always. And this week, we have uh, Jory Murray down from County Loud. Jory Murray, you put on events where you help people to fulfill their potential and overcome obstacles and all so, all the sorts of stuff. And you're a life coach and you're an author and you've got an interesting story. But for the people that don't know you, first of all, thanks for coming down to meet yeah. us. Thanks yeah, for it's not well. exactly around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you're going home afterwards and yeah. it's night time now, so I much appreciate it. Yeah, you know? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Um, we know a little bit about you, but you want to just bring it right back for the people that don't know anything about you. Just tell us a little bit about um, where you're from, what it was like growing up. Okay, so um, I live in a little village called uh, Talonstown in County Loud. Um, I'm living there 12 years. I used to live in a, a, t- a county morning town called Castleplaney. Um, when I was growing up, when I was a baby, I was fostered into my cousin's family. And... Um, I had a different last name than, than my foster parents. Uh, so that left with a lot of bullying at school and mm. it left with me when I was growing up. I didn't really feel belonged and stuff like that, you know, and I got a lot of bullying at school, you know, if anyone wanted to know me, they'd say, there's Jerry Murray there. He's no more than father, you know, I was mm. fighting talk from yeah. back then, you know, really, really annoyed me, you know, but, um, so, I, I got, didn't get off to a great start in that end, you know, but I can remember coming home one time uh, off the school bus and there was this guy with a car sitting at the driver. Now, I was only 11, 11 years old like, at the time. And uh, I basically, cut a long story short, I write about in my book why he was arrested and that, but I was arrested in the wrong and I was took away. The guards took me away, I was only 11, and they made me admit something I didn't do, you know, breaking into someone's house and that. I honestly didn't didn't do it like, but I can see why they did think it done it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so when they made me admit that, then everybody in my local area and that if something happened or something like that, there it was me that got the blame for it. Then you know, mm. so um, so I was getting the blame for all this stuff as I grew up and that it wasn't me that was doing it at all, you know. Really, really annoyed me, but um, so then I kind of as I got older, then around. 22, 23, I kind of, I wanted to get me revenge with the guards and that. So I used to kind of just really taunt them all the time. And uh, I would have been known to be a really good driver in a car, you know, and mm. I used to be chasing them and winding them up and they never could catch me, like, you know. But <laughs> now I'd done a lot of stuff to, to, to wind them up, you know. But I felt like, you know, it was my way to get them back for, for what they'd done, you know. Do you know when you were a child uh, in school, um, so you were adopted by this foster couple. Yeah. Um, did you grandma with them? Oh, I did. Yeah, they they were great. They were actually my cousins. So yeah. so so yeah. No, so you the, were kept. In, you was kept in the family. But I suppose you might still have like. Did you still have a feeling of like 
abandonment or like did, did that have an impact on your mental health growing up like did you experiment or uh, of course it did you know like mm. you know i was seeing psychiatrists from a young age like you know i was depressed from a very young mm. age i um like i remember when i'd be going to school on the on the bus i used to be looking out the window and i'd be looking at a lake like and i'd be thinking that if only had the balls to do it like mm. you know I, I never really wanted to live like you know so i was putting a lot of strong medications from a very very young age like you know really? yeah what but, was school like for you the bullying but were like um academically were you okay in school or ah no 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 like i in school like i i would have been the worst student in the school like you know uh like uh the school teachers used to tell me i'd never be any good at that and like mm. what know? about sports no 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 just <laughs> a good driver just a good driver. <laughs> i was yeah. brought up on a farm too so uh, you know i was started i was what kind of a farm oh we had cows and you know, we, it was a big farm. We had two separate farms, you know, but... Uh, tough work. Tough work, yeah. It was mm. tough work back then, it was, yeah. yeah. You know, bales of hay and all yeah. that kind of stuff, you know. But, Do you know, in the city, in this day and age, and you might be able to speak a little bit more to this thing because you've got kids at the moment, but um, in this day and age, especially in the cities, you know, with the PlayStations and phones and laptops and social media, I'd say it's a far cry from the childhood you experienced on a farm in Manhattan and Loud. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing things are changing a lot now. Like you know, uh, mm. so now when you left school, then did you do an apprenticeship or was it just to stay on the farm? Like, is that how it works? And no, would you believe me? First job was uh, when I was fifteen, and it was it was making coffins. <laughs> that, was, that was my first job, <laughs> making coffins. That's yeah. the first one yeah, we've heard here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. making coffins. I was, I was a captain making coffins. That was my first job. Yeah, what was that like? How did you get into it? Was it just? It was, a, it was just through a friend of mine got me the job. I had, he was at it, and yeah, I actually I, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed working with the wood and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, Do you know, like when you look at uh, caskets and coffers, like the serious craftsmanship goes into them. Oh, I'd say there is, yeah, yeah, the same work you put into a fitted kitchen and more actually. Go out there because they are expensive, and some yeah, of them go are, for up yeah. to ten thousand euros, even beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you stay there for long? Yeah, about two years. Go out, and yeah. what happened after that? Uh, I went then <laughs> went working on pianos. Then, would you believe it? Restoring pianos, yeah, different different stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting pianos. though. Yeah, mm, yeah, talented. Yeah. You know, pianos are very technical, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So good with the hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I enjoyed that. Like mm. you know, I'm um, after the, how long were you doing the pianos for? I was doing that for probably around three and a half years, four years. Do you know? So you're in your early twenties now. Mm. Were you in getting involved in trouble around? Uh, I wasn't too bad around that age, but when I was 21, I decided I wanted to meet my biological dad. And um, so I had started my own business at at this time. Now I started my own business, restoring furniture myself, like uh, on my own, like, and Mm. um, I enjoyed it, you know, a lot of time to think. So I was thinking, you know, uh, about my dad and all that. And I said, you know, I'm going to go and meet him. So I went down to his place of work and um, he wasn't, he wasn't there. And I left my phone number that, and he called me that night. And uh, so I, I like I was very excited about you know because I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, does he look like me? You know, all this what's easy seeing personality. So I was very, I was very excited about meeting them. You know, and I really had my hopes up about. It. So he called me that night, and uh, uh, I answered the phone. He says, "Who's this?" And uh, I says, "Jared Murray." He says, I "Don't know you." I says, "Jared Murray, your son." And. Uh, I told him this story that I was going away to America just to make it easier mm. for him to to meet me. Like, yeah, you know, I told him I was going away. You know, just let him know that what didn't want him. I just wanted mm. to meet him before I went. Like, 
Um, and then he just says to me, Jerry, he says, you live your life and I'll live my life. And basically mm-hmm. hung up the phone, you know. I really, I really took that bad. And I remember, I'll never forget it. I got off the phone and I blamed it on myself. I thought it was all my fault. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I thought it was me. And, you know, uh, I started to think then, you know, oh, but that school teacher said to me, you know, that I'm good for that. You know, she's actually right. I am good mm-hmm. for that. You start to internalize all this negativity. Yeah, I did. And then I started, you know, turning to, like, I would have been smoking hash and stuff like that at that time. But I started taking cocaine at that then, you yeah. know. And be before you go on to, the, to that side of it, um, do you know the... The parents that raised you, do mm. you call them your parents? Oh, I do, yeah. yeah. Mom and dad, were they yeah. your mother's side? Uh, they were, yeah, yeah. And you know your father? Did he grow up in the same town? Or? No, no, no. Okay, so you would have never come across no, him? No, What about your biological mother? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm still in great contact with her now, yeah. Great, great. She, she was uh, an alcoholic, like, and, you know, but we, she's given up the drink now. She actually inspired me to... Well, fair play, and that's great to hear. Yeah, exactly. I can that's really understand yeah. how... <clears throat> Or something like that. Your your father, who you had all these hopes and aspirations. I didn't meet my own father till I was twenty, you know. Um, and there was a lot of hope there. And I uh, growing up, I always wanted to be like him and all these different things, you know. But like, you were probably suffering already with insecurities, you know, lacks of self esteem and confidence because of your own growing up through bullying and whatever else. And then for somebody that. You put a lot of hope and, and what care and, 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 and that you wanted to be loved. You basically wanted to be all we ever want is to be loved, Jerry. You know, and I know that from my own experience, you know, all I wanted was to be loved, something that I didn't really get too much of growing up, you know, and to be turned away by something like that. It must have really, really hit you right in the gut, like, and, um, and I'd say it was probably the turning point in your life then. Maybe going down the wrong road or the drugs and everything else. When you think about it, like, you probably, as soon as you picked up, it was probably going to end up bad for you, like, because you had these underlying issues, mm-hmm. you know. Oh. And we've had a few people on to us actually recently, yeah. um, people that have been in similar circumstances to yourself. They wanted us to cover the topic because um, not people directly in the same situation as you, but children have been adopted, our children have grown up in the care system the way over represented in treatment centres, prisons and homeless hostels, you know. So there's a serious correlation between adoption and care and negative life outcomes, you know, because even if you had, you know, great foster parents and your mother was able to, you had a good relationship with her, there's still something there, do you know what I mean? And like Timmy said, you'll always want your father, do you know what I mean? And if it didn't work out for you, like, return to substances. And, Absolutely. you know, when you started experimenting, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so look, I started with the cocaine um, and, uh, yeah, I got, I got addicted to it for a good few years. Um, then I started involved in different crimes and that. Mm. Then I got two years in prison. Right, you skipped way on there. <laughs> so you went straight into the cocaine. So there wasn't yeah. like typically people like, oh, it's that it's smoking hash and it's not solvents. But because you were working, man, you were doing business at this stage. Mm. So you had money, so you were able to get cocaine. And then you got involved in crime. Was that directly through the drugs? Did you like start to use the snort and cocaine and start selling it in weight? Or did you commit other crimes to get the money for the coke? Or how did it work out? 
I um, you know, as you know, cocaine's a dear habit. Like it <laughs> is. Know, yeah. So when yeah. I started getting involved involved in crime to to be able to buy buy go to cocaine, like you know, mm. uh, lost my business and you know was was full time in the crime then at that stage, like. As you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As you do, yeah. You have yeah. to feel it. You have to do it somewhere, yeah. you know. And um, crime really is, especially if you're good at certain things like driving and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're going to turn to what you're good at. If it's Absolutely. not through education or through you being a craftsman or something like that, you're going to turn to the next thing. You can't sing or you're not you know, movie actor. Exactly. So you you got a job with your driving skills. I did, yeah. Courier, yeah. courier, yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably can't tell us the details in that now because you might be dragged in for a section after. <laughs> I've had no money at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously that didn't work out too good for you. Eventually you ended up in prison. Yeah, look, as I say, like, you know, when I was Korean, you know, like uh, the the relationship I had with the guards and that wasn't good, like, so mm. they knew I was Korean and I was Korean for a man they really wanted as well, you know, and... Uh, so me and him became very good friends and so it became, a, became like a war with me and him against mm. the, the guards like and that and so they never could catch me driving ever like you did know? You, do you know when you were carrying drugs in your in your car um did you always have confidence that no matter what pulled up you're going to get away absolutely i used to say this to the guards i used to say if you ever catch me driving i'll shake your hand Go away over there. And I was dead serious, like, because I knew, I knew they never would. <laughs> we'll have to go go counting someday. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only place we can get away from driving like that these days. That's true. Uh, yeah. Um, so, how did you get caught? It wasn't through me driving, it was through, uh, so it would have been back in um, uh, when I was about 23. I went through, I was actually, I was working in Dublin at the time. And I met this girl and uh, we were going out for a while and she moved into my flat and um, she was uh, she wasn't there one evening. I was tidying up the flat and I found a needle in the flat and she was taking heroin. I found out she was taking heroin. Like I never would have known anything about heroin at the time. Mm. So I was down home and um, I met her. I said, look, I said, uh, or she mentioned me looking for her stuff out of the flat. I said, I'll be back there on Monday. I'll give it to you then. And she's no one wanted now. I said, look, I'm home, down home for the weekend. I'll, I'll give it to you Monday. So then um, she uh, messaged me saying, look, I have something to tell you. I have HIV. So have you. Mm. Um, so I was like, ah, when he's saying this to me, it pissed me off. Like. Mm. So um, I remember me and her had a conversation before with people that took their lives and that. And I was telling about a friend of mine that how he took his life and that. And I told her I was going to do the same, like, you know, if I had it. Thinking she texted me back, no, look, you, you don't have it, you know. Um, but she texted me back, you know, it was... Not what I wanted to hear. She takes back saying there's medication out there now that will help you. You know, mm. so that really, I was oh shit. What year know. is this now? Uh, probably would have been maybe around 2000, probably around 2000, maybe mm. around that year, 2002 or three, something around that. Like, mm. yeah. And um, in County Loud, was this, you were in County Loud at this time? Don't no, mind. I would have been around my home place in, in, in Castellania. Was heroin a big thing up there at the time? No, well, see, she was from Dublin. Oh, okay. she, she was from Dublin. Yeah. The yeah. fucking dubs are the bastards. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> James, you're going to be putting a hit list over there. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a half a dub, so I can get away with it. But no, because uh, I only say that because uh, heroin problems kind of isolated to Dublin at that time. Do you know, because around that time in Cork, we didn't really have a heroin problem. Mm. I was thinking the other counties was probably similar enough, but it did spread, obviously. Um, and did you get, did, did you end up testing positive for HIV? 
No, but but like there was no heroin down, down around where I was like at all. It's like, just that like, she was from Dublin. Was just Dublin yeah. yeah. But um, I went to get tested um, with, with my doctor and the doctor, you know, I thought I'd get that test straight away. But then he told me I had to wait for a second test for six months. That's right, yeah. So I really just went crazy in that mm. six months and I got involved in that. Didn't mm. give a crap, like, mm. do you know what I mean? What? So um, I, I got involved. Uh, I stole some machinery. but and um, What kind of machinery? Tractors. <laughs> tractors do <laughs> laugh. Tractors, yeah. There's serious money involved in, in I know, the machinery. Yeah. And it's, it's a big thing within yeah. the in, in Northern Ireland and yeah. the Republic. How, like, you probably can't tell me, like, but I'm trying to think, like, how do you actually rob a tractor? It's not like going in and mm. putting a fucking down your back pocket or, you know, into a tin file bag. Like, like, are you going in with a lorry and loading it up the back of it and taking off out of it? Have you got buyers for equipment like that before you go in or? Look, I, I just sent someone up to like, look, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was kind of, it was a once off this time. It was, it was our first time doing it. And yeah. uh, me and a couple of friends done it. Uh, it was just looking, any key nearly starts them all. So, yeah, good to know. Just in case but things don't work out, right? Be swinging out of a massive focus in there now when the podcast goes yeah. bust. Yeah. <laughs> that won't happen. But, uh, no, that's interesting stuff. Mm. So, we went mad for that six months. I can understand why. Mm. You think, fucking hell, yeah. you know, the world is going to end. And what happened after the end of the six months? You got the results. Got the results. Uh, they were clear, yeah. It was all clear, yeah. you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Mm. Well, do you know what? That, that, that must have been fucking tough. Mm. Really, really tough to live six months. Like, to, to know that you might have something that could affect you for the rest of your life. Because, as we all know, there's a lot of people that get blood transfusions get HIV from it and, and other forms of um, blood tra- blood diseases through that way. Like it must be absolutely awful for for people to be told like you've HIV never before used needle or was out there fucking what selling themselves or anything like that. And to be told like it must be an awful thing to, to I have think over be- you, like for I six think, months. I think before you can give blood you have to be tested anyway. Is it? So I don't think you can get a pass through blood transfusions. Okay. But like um, previously, my previous life, I had hepatitis A, which you get through dirty water and stuff, you know? So um, I remember when I got, when I came into recovery, got tested, you know, check out everything. That was the only thing. They just said they had antibodies that fought it. But um, it's, you can get it through dirty fruit and water and all these mad things. It's more common in third world countries. Mm. But the lifestyle and your active addiction, it's just dirty and I was using intravenously. No, there's no sharing or anything like that. But the point is, I can't give blood. You know, even though I don't have anything that I can pass on to anybody, but I have the antibodies that was there, you know. So yeah. um, I just be careful that people be like, oh, I'm not getting a blood transfusion, you know, because Timmy said on the podcast, yeah. so I just had to be careful. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I didn't mean nothing by it. Yeah. I just meant like, but it has happened in the past. You do hear stories where people do get transfusions and they pick up some form of disease. But that's probably before yeah. these days. We hope come. it's not like that no more, anyway. <laughs> but the, I do even, because there'll be people up now in my fucking door, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even uh, people that have HIV that might be listening to the podcast, like, nobody wants HIV, nah. but it's not the death sentence it used to be. No. Do you know, and people mm. do survive and live fulfilled lives while yeah. on medication. Thankfully, you didn't get it. So what happened after that? So, like, you know, I got myself into the, the, the trouble of the crime and that at that time. Um, then I started, it was then I, around that time I started currying. <clears throat> and uh, 
that was going good for me liking that. Um, and, but like, like the guards really, really, really had it out for me on the road. They were just, mm. they were just torturing me. Like, you know what I mean? They really were. Mm. My, my friend, no one could even hang with me or the torture anyone who was hanging out with me. They really, really, really wanted to really, um, stopping what I was doing and you know um so I remember the raid the raid at my uh, home place for, for drugs like and I remember the head of the DS coming up to me and saying what's your address and I says no fix the boat like I'd always say that to him you know and he says well it's down as your home place that that's where you're living he says we're going to raid that for drugs and I looked and I says don't you go near that house like I said you know like they're mm. you know uh good people and never involved in crime or anything like really good people, you know, and he just looked at me and says, I bet you'll piss you off, won't it? And next morning went out and raided the place mm. with drugs, like, you know. Mm. Um, so, you know, I just, I was only one bit of it, like, you know, they were just absolutely torturing me and um, the rest of me want them and I had a fair deal they want to arrest me and uh, I went and I cut my wrists in the cell and uh, in the guard station in the guard station yeah they played me pocket they, they didn't get it like uh, cut my wrist in three places like and uh, when it had done then I said oh shit what did I do and actually you know I want to see the blood coming out and I said oh no I don't. the next thing I went up to press the buzzer and there's no the buzzer was broken like so I just lay back then we're lucky enough someone came to check me after a few minutes you know can I ask you about the time when you cut yourself? Like, what's going through your head? Are you depressed from drugs or is it just the lifestyle getting too much for you? Have you enough? Or? I was taking a lot, of, a lot of cocaine at the time and there was a lot of anger in me. Like, mm. there was a lot of anger in me in, in, against the guards. Like, and, you know, it was just... Just a release, like... Yeah, my head was just all mm. over the place, like. It's a way of... It's a way away from feeling what's going on for you. Yeah. Well, look, it, it was... I feel like it was done through anger, like, mm. really was done through anger, like. To say that, you no know, people have self-harm like that, like, they so much internal emotions that they can't handle yeah. and internal pain that the cutting takes you out of your head and it focuses mm-hmm. around that, you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, like yeah. it's like, it's like, mm-hmm. skills, you know? It makes sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, because when you yeah. cut your wrist, like, fucking hell, you're out of your head then, you're like, oh my God, I'm bleeding, you know? Mm-hmm. So, there's, a, there's a sense of relief from it as well, because when I was young, I would have self-harmed as well. But there was, there was a sense of relief seeing yourself being cut and blood coming from it. Mm. There's a sense of, oh, do you know, it takes, as you said there, James, you were spot on, it takes you over your head mm. and now you're focused on this and there's nearly a little bit of, will somebody notice and give me a bit of attention? Yeah. You know, that's because I wasn't getting very much attention at the time, but when when they see that, it's negative attention, but it's still attention. It's like um, physical pain is probably easier to handle than emotional yeah. pain. Yeah. Do you know Okay. It's like if you're in emotional pain, then you cut yourself and makes you feel relief. Yeah. You feel relief in physical yeah. pain. That means yeah. obviously, but um, the guards, they arrived eventually. Yeah, they did, yeah. And the administrators came in and took me out. And well, actually, on the way out, then the guard that actually said that to me, be raiding the home place and that, he was standing there and the administrator says, why do you do that? And why do you do that? And I says, because of him there. And I went for him and I had to put the, the guard actually in the cell. Because I was gonna, mm. <laughs> you know, but I know. So I got brought to the hospital, got stitches in my arm and that, and bandaged up. And then it was a few days after that, then uh, I got arrested again and brought to court and I bandaged all around my arms and that. And they arrested me for breaking bail conditions and sent me to Cloverhill Prison. Um, and 
to me this to this day I think the the guards had some kind of connections with the governor over the prison because they left me in the holding cell for seven days like with no clothes on me it's freezing cold like pure torture mm. so I was in clo- I got out, out of the, the pallet cell like for seven days I was in there for seven days got out of the pallet cell after seven days and uh, into the, the prison then for, I was there for a total of three weeks like and I got out out of the prison and um, did you know anybody in there? no no, it was remand prison, you know, like yeah. they're not just a, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You, you know. Uh, so for people that don't know, fuck all about prisons, Clover Hill is where people can go when they're on remand mm. for cases yeah. or they can go there. Like a lot of people from Cork prison would go, if they got denied bail in Cork, they go to Dublin to the High Court for bail mm. and go to the Clover Hill while they're waiting on the court. But you, you were denied bail or you were brought in off bail? Yeah, I was being brought in for break of bail, yeah. And you went there for three weeks? Three weeks, yeah. It's your first experience in prison. First really? experience, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a tough one, isn't it? Especially, it's yeah, 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 it was. It was, it was yeah. a tough one, like, you know, when I, when I came out, I, I just turned my life around, like, yeah. in a positive way, like. Yeah. What was what was it like? What did you do when you got out? I got out, I went to a friend that had a business that was involved in furniture and that, and I went to him and asked him, could I get a partnership in his business? Well, could I do my own but he rent a, a bit of his his shed to me, like, you know, so I could do my own stuff, like. And he said, he said he would. And um, it was actually, it was uh, in in my local village. Uh, the the workshop was behind the guard, the guard barracks, like, right behind the guard barracks. And I was carrying up furniture every day and putting on the footpad for sale and that. And the guard just come up to me and say, oh, fair play, if you turn your life around, I wouldn't drive or anything, like, you know what I mean? I just... I mm. caught myself on it's no way do I want to lay for that mm. prison stuff like you know it really woke me up like yeah. so turned my life around and I was it was enjoying like really enjoying life like for the first time ever my life was really really enjoying life you know and um, now in regards to the machinery took and all that like yeah, it was all left back like so I didn't feel like to be much about that so I was still waiting for that court case like so the machinery took it was all left back so um, that court case was still coming up uh, so I came up, I had that business going for maybe about nine or ten months, like. Um, then I went to court and uh, the sergeant basically stood up in the stand and told lies, like, said to the judge, I don't know, ended up with Jerry changed his life around or ended up with him having a business or really just sent me down, like. Mm. You know, um, so I got two years that day that I didn't expect, like. Mm. Uh, then, uh, yeah, I got two years and where did you go for the, where, where were we sentenced to? Uh, Mount Jai. Is that where people from Loud go? Yeah, well, I was sentenced in Monaghan, so it was. And so you sent to people from Monaghan, they go to Mount Jai, is that typical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And uh, what was it like in there? Cultural <laughs> shock? <laughs> brave shock again, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a brave shock, like, you know. Uh, yeah, it was a brave shock. Like, it was, Especially if you're after turning your life around. Yeah. And then to go into court and be given a prison sentence. And to be going in there then with a good good space in your mind. And into the negativity. You're going in there then and you're caught up in fight or flight. You know, you're, the adrenaline's pumping through your body because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're walking down the landings and they're all just staring at you, you know. It's a tough, tough environment to it be was, put into. Like. It was tough. And I think what annoyed me more was, you know, I knew that the, 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 the guard, like I knew it was him that just wanted to send me down like because when I when I got to two years and I was in the holding cell 
uh, in the barracks. Like he came down and he lifted the latch up, and I was I could see someone give me the finger. Like and I looked up and I looked out, and there he, it was. He looked uh, through the latch, like and there he was giving me the finger. Like you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. more or less, I got you. Like mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, yeah, did, did you know anybody in Mount Chai? No, I didn't. So do you know when you went in there first? How did you integrate? Like, well. Well, funny enough, now, when, when I got sentenced, there was two guys there that got sentenced the same time as me, and they got 12 years, like, and we came, we were in, the, we were in a holding cell in Menchai uh, for about, well, therefore, they were there for about three days, and they got moved out, like, but we, I got on well with them guys, um, they were from Limerick, and um, then, then I, I was in that cell, holding cell for about, I think, about six days, because it was overcrowded at that time. Mm. Then I got sent into a four-man, uh, four-man cell. Then, but there was a guy there. And he was lucky he was probably in a prison all his life. But he used to leave uh, a syringe and under my pillow at night. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's what can I say? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. At, that, at that time, you know. So, uh, did you start using heroin inside though? Not at that time. No, not at that time. But I did start heroin when, when, when I was in prison, yeah. Okay. Um, was it in Mount Jai? No, so I got moved to Port Leash and um, I I just, I, I said, I'm going to make the best of a bad situation. I got stuck into the gym and I was going to the gym three hours a day and there was another guy I met and me and him was training together, a big, big lump of a lad, you know, and mm. then we got moved to an open prison, locked in the house. And uh, one day I was just wa- I was walking down. I walked into his cell, and there he was smoking heroin. Like, and I was like, oh, "Jesus!" And I just walked back out. First time I ever seen mm-hmm. it. Like, mm-hmm. I seen needles in that before, but I never actually seen it on the tin file. And then he came back up to my cell, and he said, "Look, Jerry, it's not all that bad." And I was there. I don't know, it's not for me. Like, and the same day I took I took two Valium tablets, so I was a bit relaxed to myself. You yeah, know? inhibitions were low. Yeah. And I started, I, I lay back and say to myself, look at the size of him, like he's a big, strong lad. Maybe it's not that bad, I'll try it. Like, mm. So I went back down and I said, look, give me a blast of there. So I took a few lines of it and went back and when I puked and back down and lay, lay down in my bed and I thought I'd close my eyes for an hour, but it was 12 hours. Like, I said, mm. Jesus, this is some job for passing time. Like, I know, I know. And then we toured time. Like, I knew nothing about the sickness of heroin. Like, I knew nothing about it. Like, Farmer by, I suppose, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. never knew about it. Like, so the tour time I took it, I says to a man, I says, uh, just I don't feel well myself, you know, and he says, that's a, that's a sickness. I says, what? Sickness? What do you mean sickness like? You know, and he says, you need to cure. So that's what yeah, I mean. If, if you smoke heroin for a few days, for a period of time, and then you don't have it, you go to physical withdrawal. Like anybody that takes any opiates for a period of time. People that are addicted to painkillers, like norofin and codeine based, mm-hmm. take them for a period of time and you don't have any, you'll be physically sick. And that's kind of the physical dependence, you know, so you experience that up there. Do you know in Locken House, it's an open prison, it's in Cavan. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any, like, uh, urine tests or anything like that? Oh, there was, yeah, yeah. And um, did that ever, did, did we ever turn over there for it or we have divided or... No, uh, I was thrown out of Lachlan House, but not for that reason. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another story. Go on, sure, you might as well tell us. Uh, so I'm here now, may as well tell you, right? So, uh, if you're comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all. look, it's yeah. all in my books. So, yeah, you know, exactly. it's all in my books. So I'm not, you know. If, if you're comfortable, we'll only we'll talk about whatever you're comfortable yeah, yeah, about, yeah, you know, because yeah. your story, your story is, um, is very important. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. it just all talks about how it could happen to anybody. Of course. Yeah. You don't have to be grown up in one of the worst parts of the country, mm. worst towns or cities. It can happen to a lad who's brought up on the farm in the middle of the countryside, you know, course, and yeah. it's very, very important. So, um, as I said, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, that, that's why I'm here today. And, yeah. you know, it will, it will uh, make someone, if I had been listening to myself 20 years ago, maybe I might have made mistakes. Yeah. That, you know? yeah, exactly. That's the point. You know, that, and that, that's it, really, you know. Yeah. So, I got my first weekend out of prison in Lachlan House. How far from Lachlan House are you living? Uh, it's been an hour and a half from, from my hometown. Yeah. And, um, so I went out on the beer and I was drinking, drinking the same way as I thought I could drink when I, before I went in, like, and, uh, I got a bottle of vodka and I downed it and stone drunk. And, uh, me and a friend of mine were acting eager with these aerosol cans. I was after spilling whiskey on my jeans and, uh, from my knee to, to my feet, like, mm. and we were acting these, these aerosol cans, pinking at each other, messing, you know, and my jeans went to fire from the inside. And I was that much drinking, I didn't know the fucking legs was a fire. Like. Mm. Woke up the next morning with third degree bones. Fucking hell. On my leg, like. And, uh, cut a long story short, I had to go to the bone June at Dublin. And, um, was in there for three weeks. Must have been serious. Oh, very bad. Skin grafts and all, like, oh, you yeah, know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You so, look, you didn't burn something else off. Whatever about the legs. The other thing was gone anyway, you might as well pack it up. You'd have ended up with no lang or you would have been yeah. fucked then. <laughs> but you were in the hospital for three weeks. Yeah, now when, when I went in first, I um, I knew heroin was good for pain, like. Yeah. And I rang a dude up and I says to him, I said, look, I'm in hospital here. What way? I don't want to inject it. I said, what other way can I take it? He says, snort it like a lane of coke. Mm. So I got some left in and that, and I don't exactly what he said to do. Like I started like a lane of coke, probably with that size there. Do you know what I mean? And uh, next thing, boom, I, I was out like, you know, yeah. I, I, and uh, like I write about in my book mm. and uh, like, as I say in my book, like, you know, there's no words that would give it credit to what I felt like. Mm. And it wasn't from the taking of heroin. It was because I went to the other side. like. Mm. I died in the hospital bed. I was just going to say, do you know, snorting heroin, it's a very, very dangerous way yeah. of taking the drug. I know. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know. figured that, yeah. There's a few people from Nakanahini who've died from it yeah. that I know yeah, well. Yeah. And um, even when I was snorting it myself, you could snort, you could take it. Like, heroin is a potent enough drug when you're in small amounts of it. And when you smoke, it obviously takes time because you, you know, it may take it 15, 20 minutes to get through the bag. But when you snort it, you take the whole lot of it and it doesn't hit you straight away. Like I've injected too. So when you inject the drug, mm. it hits you like that. So when you go into the blood, you're gone. Yeah. But when you snort it, you don't feel nothing. And then it creeps up on you. And then before you know it, you're fucking killed. And so let's say if you, if you and this is my experience, but if you snorted a bit of gear, you might give it five or ten minutes and then you might take another small bit, you know. Mm. And then before you know it, you're unconscious. You know? And what the whole model, what we're trying to say here is do not snort heroin. Like, yeah. Or don't if you take if, full stop. Yeah, don't take a full stop. Yeah. If you're going to snort it, snort it yeah. with somebody next to you. But you know where people do get confused around the heroin? And some films or series, whatever they might be watching at home, people are snorting heroin and they're looking at them getting a the buzz off or whatever. That is not the reality of it. 
You know, yeah, heroin kill, kill you, like, oh, immediately, yeah, you know. Yeah. It shuts yeah. down your respiratory system. So Especially if there's whatever mixes in it these days, like that fentanyl or whatever else. Like, that can kill you, yeah. like that. But the, the, the heroin tells the brain, the brain stops telling the lungs to move, basically, and your lungs just stop breathing, yeah. and it suppresses the respiratory system. So that's what happened to you. Mm. And lucky you were in the hospital when it happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you think about, like, fellas that are down in their bedroom. That's that's how fellas are mm-hmm. found out, you know what I mean? And mm. the longer you're under, like the brain damage happens then, you know. Mm. So if you're found, you could have, you know, damage, you know, yeah. that you can't undo from lack of oxygen to the brain. Mm. We know people like that told you me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you were very lucky, Jerry. Blessed, yeah. What was it like when you came around? It was What was it like under or what's your memories of that whole time? Uh look, I went to you know, I went to the other side and all I could feel was just Pure love and peace. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, I didn't want to come back here. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I thought the doctor that had the fibrillator shocked me. I thought he was like, you know, he's the devil. Like, you know, why why are you doing that? Like, just just leave me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like and at at that time, like I was there. Like, Jesus, why did I get a second chance? You know, I'm someone that's in prison, drug addict. Like, you know, what could my sister say? Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, I thought that. You know, but mm-hmm. it was a plan for me. Yeah, you know, and I'm still here. Yeah, so did you go back to Lachlan House? I uh, went back to Lachlan House and then the the governor thought it was a nigh punishment beating us after get because I told him I fell asleep in front of a fire. I he wasn't believing <laughs> that. <know>? Like. <laughs> I couldn't tell them I was out drinking. Like, <laughs> <you> know, so <laughs> They didn't believe that, so I got sent to Castle Reed then and, I, and I, was, I was in crutches. County Roscommon? Yeah. Rough. What was it like over there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> was it rough? Was that the roughest prison you were in? Cloverhill and Castlery. Look, I think Cloverhill probably would have been the worst. But Castlery, now it was probably because it was in crutches. I ended up getting bullying. Oh mm. really? Yeah, and it was you know mm. it was I had sleepless nights over like you know what I mean. Were you in single cell or doubled up or what? Single. Mm. And we were isolated over there. Like, no, no, I was. Just, it was on the land in like single cell, yeah. And you know, like when um, do you know when you're in Castle and you're being bullied? Like, have you any friends over there? Do you know anybody over there? Or? I do you see as I was saying there was two two Limerick guys that that yeah yeah. So I became very good friends with them. Um, actually, you know, the word God sent mm. through me sentence, like you know. So yeah. I became good friends with them. So I had the number, like I, I took my phone with me from Lachlan House back to Castlery. So I had my phone with me, like illegally, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was probably inciting the the bandage for giving out all the secrets, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, so I called them guys up and I, I said to them, you know, like I'm getting hassled here, like you know, and they said, look, we'll, we'll sort something out because the big connection these guys, like you know, mm. um. The guys was coming in just about five days past, and I couldn't sleep at night. Around. I was off the crutches this stage, couldn't sleep at night with just pure anger. Like, you know, with these three guys coming in all the time looking for me fags. Like, mm. and um, then one morning, so I, I just started getting myself back in shape again, exercising my leg and that, you know. So I was able to walk again, I was off the crutches, and uh, then the ringleader came in the zone one morning. But I was set. I, I was set to take the three of them out of my own. Like I was just. I had enough. Like at this mm-hmm. stage, so it all planned out. Like, and um, so when he came in his own, 
And when, when I came in, I was only like banged the cell door over, like, and uh, kind of choked him against the wall for a while. And uh, he was shouting and roaring the prisoner, or the, the screw came up and opened the door, like, and he looked in and he knew what was going on, like, but he didn't say anything. I didn't get any trouble about it or anything like that. But then the next day, this this big guy came in with tattoos on the eyes, like, oh shit, like, I'm bollocks now, you know. The next thing, it was actually the Limerick boys that sent the, the boy with the tattoos, to, mm. you know, to, yeah. to see if it was all right. And I told him to crack and he sat with me in a cup of tea and just we were, we were having a cup of tea and that. And next thing, the three boys was walking past that was bullying me, like, and they looked in. And next thing, I said it to a man that was the gaze, like, and he just stared. And I, this guy was a scary, mm. he was in for life, like, mm. you know, um, he had nothing to lose, like, he was, he was a scary boy, like. So I'd say they were the boys shitting themselves after that, like, you mm. know, but, um, yeah, that was my experience. That was the end of the bullying? That was the end of the bullying. Yeah, yeah. it just shows why we stand up to the bullies and... Yeah, yeah. after. Yeah. yeah. But that yeah. Look, the, I was just an easy target. Like, you know. Look, that is... Your story is the reality of a lot of stories like that in the prison. You know. You know, I've, I've seen some stuff. It's horrible, isn't yeah. it? And, uh, Especially when you have a disability like that. Yeah. Like, you know, how you're defenceless, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in, the, in an environment like that, like, you will be preyed upon, like, mm-hmm. especially when you're out of your... You're not in your home, your hometown. You don't know anybody. Did you end up going back to Lock and House, or did you get released from there? Or what was got released from there. Yeah, I got released from there. Yeah, you had a rough old time. We're all the same, didn't you? And you oh, got a yeah. tour of Ireland as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I got released from there. But you know, I came out just lunatic altogether. Like, did you? Ah, yeah. So it more connections. Mm. You know, that's what happens you would Sarah you have a drug addiction to heroin as well yeah yeah you know? I can with that as well like you know and best contacts around the Ireland for yeah. stuff and yeah. yeah and what was life like when you got out did you go back to your hometown yeah yeah I did went back to my hometown yeah were you back working or did you go back into crime or? I was a crime for a while and then I started uh, started selling cars then and uh, yeah not a form of crime Ripping no. people off. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Anyone look? No, no, no. We all know the used cars, yes, man. The nicest people. Like. But, uh, Best, so you, yeah. You went legit. I went legit. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Went legit. So to speed things up a little bit, how did you end up getting in? Like, I'm looking at some of the stuff you've a diploma in body language, mm. a diploma in addiction therapy, certified life coach. Um, and then you have the businesses that we spoke about, including the pub landlord, which we haven't spoken about. Um, how did you end up getting into the self-help piece? How, how did that come about? Uh, from a very young age, from I was 10, 11, I always had a dream when I'd be older that I'd be like a doctor or a psychiatrist or a counsellor or something like that. That's always was my dream, like, you know. And then I thought I was down the wrong road. But I actually didn't. I went down a road that I've experienced at all. And I came out the other end of it, you know. Mm. Um, and I remember going on an event one time, and um, I just seen guys, you know, that I was running it, you know, like, but, uh, you know, guys, not like myself, but, you know, like, like business owners and that. And, you know, because I thought you need some kind of diploma to do all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and it just it just changed my life. What, what I learned at that event, it just just totally changed my life. So it did. And um, then um, after that, then my sister passed away. She was only twenty two. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And um, I said to myself, you know, like uh, it's time for me to make a change. Like you know, and um, 
I set a goal when I was on, on that uh, event to become a public speaker. And there was a guy that was at the event, heard my story, and he says, look, he says, I'd like you to do a talk for me. And uh, well being in that. And uh, so at the goal I had set, I said, if I was ever asked to speak, I'd always say yes, you know. So I set that goal, was asked to speak. And um, went and I spoke at it and started me off at that. Uh, started me off getting into that. And yeah, it's... Um, what was it like doing the first public speak? Oh, Pub- God. <laughs> tough, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's tough, yeah. It, uh, my neck from here down just wouldn't stop shaking, like, yeah, yeah. you know, just uncontrollably, just wouldn't yeah. stop shaking, like. And how are you doing it? How are you doing it today? Yeah, look, uh, as a, uh, I'll give you an example. So the way, when I, when I run my events, I was running one day in August and uh, there was a couple of people that was coming, that was in this game longer than me, they were in 15, 20 years, like, coming to listen to me that and see what it's about. And there's a woman who works on, on my team with me and she says to me, she says, are you nervous, Jerry? And I looked at her and I says, do you know what? I says, uh, I never was as confident doing something in my life as I was mm. driving. You know what I mean? That's how confident I am in yeah. what I do now. Is, yeah. it, is, I have the same confidence that I had when I was driving in what I do now. Yeah. You know what I get since we've sat down here at the table? I get a real sense of authenticity. Mm. I've just been real about what you're about and mm. who you are. And there's a, a, a real calmness around you as well. You know, there's, it's just a really relaxed energy. You can probably feel it as well. Oh, well, yeah, pure, yeah. pure, pure relaxed. Yeah. Well, I feel it from you guys too. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's you know, like, what, you know, on this podcast, you just have to be yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. As simple yeah. as that. There's no, yeah. like, nobody's talking about crime. Like, oh, I was this big fucking mad gangster. It's not, not that. Yeah, yeah. This is just what my life was like. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For, for good or for bad. You know? yeah. And I going back like, to the, even the public speaking side of it there, it is a difficult process for any human being, but I'm sure at some stage in your life and in my life, we would have thought that, nah, I could never do that. You know? But no, it just goes to show that any human being can do absolutely anything with their lives. They can become a public speaker. They can become a doctor. They can be, it's all about how much they want it, you know, and it's about, it's also about a massive part is about overcoming those fears. You know, you're going to feel a lot of fear. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel, mm. you know, it's terrible, you know, and I, I remember me and James were uh, on the Clareburn Shore there recently. And there was cameras there. It was clear. There was an audience there. My heart literally was beating completely out of my chest. And <laughs> my mouth started going, going dry, you know. And I started laughing. <laughs> In the middle of the show, I started laughing to myself. Saying to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> I look around and say, what the, what the fuck am I like? What am I doing here? And I'm sitting in the chair and bright lights and all this. And next, all of a sudden, she says, oh, and you, Timmy, um, can you tell us? And I said, oh, next, these words were coming out of my mouth. I didn't even know what I was saying. You know, I didn't even, I forgot what the question was, you know. But the point being, I felt that feeling of real, really strong fear and yeah. And anxiousness, we over two of us did. Yeah. Two of us, we were speaking about it after, or the two of us felt it. But the next time will be easier. Yeah, 
Yeah, the next absolutely. time. Absolutely, yeah. The next yeah. Time. Public speaking is a, there's a skill in it. You know, and yeah. part of the skill is trying to be composed and try to keep be calm. There's a buzz out of it too. Oh, yeah. here, man. When I done my first talk, don't never <laughs> give me that feeling. Yeah. Oh, it's buzzing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely buzzing. Yeah. And you do your own events today. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about them? What are they like? And are they weekend events or they. Yeah, all? look, they're, they're three day events. Um, you know, I have had all walks of life come to them. You know, I have, like, uh, if you go on to my Facebook page there, you'll see testimony videos like from school teacher or school teacher, just all walks of life. Like, do you know what I mean? And for me, like, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be watching testimony videos of the people sometimes and I'd tear up, like, because, yeah. like, that was, that's my dream. Like, I'll give you an example of uh, my next three day of what I'm doing is on the tour of my February and my birthday, like, that's how much I love doing them. Like, that's nice. it's just, it's just seeing the results in the people. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's just seeing them, you know, like, I've seen people, like, you know, come in nervous and, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, suffer anxiety and, then just to see them after, you know, I just had a girl that there was at me one in August and she was, she was back, she was, she was from England and she was back there at the weekend and she's just so calm, yeah, mm. do you know what I mean? Just so relaxed and mm. another guy was saying to me, I saved his life, like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like to hear that stuff, like, so I'm, I'm living my dream, like. But even, I, mean? I think what I think is very important about your um, events as well is they're different to everything else. It's about forgiveness. You base them on forgiveness and, and letting go. You know, that's that's very important. We had a brief chat beforehand about mm-hmm. forgiveness. And forgiveness is a word that can be used a lot. But it, there's a lot to forgiveness because forgiveness is also, there's it, it's attached to resentment, people, you know. But to be able to really forgive somebody is like, it's a feeling. You know, it's, it's, it's not just a word, oh, I forgive you, but it's the feelings. Whenever you see a person that's connected to an, uh, an experience with you, maybe a negative one, and it's to be able to feel love for them instead of complete resentment there. I don't like the word hatred because I don't, I don't know, I don't think it's even, it should be a word. Hatred is a really strong word, but yeah. forgiveness. Can you tell us a little bit about the f- word forgiveness and what it means to you? So I can tell you on my experience in forgiveness, you know, and, and the results, like, you know, so, so forgiveness is just one thing that, that I do at my mm. events. Like I go through a lot of stuff, like, you know, um, it's all stuff that I've put into practice in my life, stuff that I've changed my life, you know what I mean? It's all stuff that I've played my life for before I teach it to people. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I really get people to do at my events is finding the purpose in life. You know, because when you find your purpose, there's no stopping you, like, mm. you know, I found my purpose, but everybody's purpose is different, like, do you know what I mean? We all have a purpose here. So I show people like that, like my book's called You Can Do Anything, because you can, like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? When you find your purpose, there's nothing will stop you. Do you know what I mean? Because like, you know, sometimes, you know, we give our energy to what's not serving us, you know, to getting the next bag of coke or getting the next bag of heroin. Do you know what I mean? We're putting, yeah. we're getting our energy towards that. That's what we would mm-hmm. think of at the time. That's our purpose. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you actually find your purpose from your heart, do you know what I mean? All the cravings or, or all your energy that's going to get them bags next thing you, you put it towards your dream, like. Mm-hmm. So you're putting your energy towards something else, your passion, mm-hmm. like, you know. So I help people find that and, um, you know, I just showed them how, how to do that. And, you know, it's just because, like, I had business before and I'd never say that I failed at them. I learned from them all, like. 
Mm-hmm. I, I learned where I went wrong with them, mm-hmm. you know, and I showed people what, where I went wrong and I, and I showed them, like, I, I started this business just before lockdown and the business still going, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the job I had before that, I really liked that job, you know what I mean? It was a handy job, I was getting paid well. Um, and it, I didn't step back to that job. I, I stuck at this one. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes we give up too easy. Mm. There's, there's, a, there's a story in Think and Grow Rich, Three Foot from Gold. Do you ever read that? Mm. As a, look, I probably haven't the time to get into it now, but it's, it's ba- I, I'll tell you the short version of it. Yep. It's basically about a man that bought all this thrilling uh, equipment to, to mine for gold, right? Called long story. He, he got some gold and uh, to pay for, pay for the equipment and that. And, um, then he was thrilling away again uh, and he couldn't get any gold. So he gave up and he sold all, all the machinery to a local scrap man. And the scrap man, uh, got a specialist in the check and they, do- they drilled down three foot and got all the gold, millions and millions worth of gold. Like moral of the story is there, we give up too easy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that story stood with me a lot mm-hmm. th- through because it made me realize, you know, when at the pub and the car business, all that stuff, I give up too easy, you know? So I'll never give up in this business. Like. Mm-hmm. Any advice for somebody just watching and listening that's stuck in a dead end job that they're unhappy with, they haven't found their purpose. Um, and maybe they're getting up on a Monday morning. They're thinking, "Fucking hell, is this as good as it gets for me?" How do you find? How do we find our purpose? Or what can we do to help? Well, how I found my purpose was I went on an event, like you know, and I broke my limiting beliefs, you know, um, you know. But mm. ask yourself, you know, ask yourself, you know, ask yourself what is it you'd love to do in life, you know, and mm. then. I start taking steps to work to make that happen. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so when I went to school, uh, I was laughed at if I put my hand up to answer a question, like even by the school teacher, do you know what I mean? But I always wanted to try and get uh, something right, but I never could. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So what I'm saying is I was the worst student in school. Like, so if I can do that, I couldn't read or write when I left school. Like, mm. and still I've started my second book now. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? And I can read now. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's my, I, I found my purpose, you know, but we all have a purpose. We all have different things, like, mm. do you know what I mean? Um, you said something important there, you said about um, kind of losing the self-limiting beliefs because, like, if you have experiences, like, we've all had bad experiences of school and you come out, I think, an education is not for me. That is a self-limiting belief. When you can push through that and try education, then you might realise, fucking hell, that belief I held for years was actually untrue. Yeah. And something I taught myself for years yeah. was actually yeah. holding me back all this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About go, breaking go. boundaries and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and getting to a limit. And what happens is when you do hit a certain stage and that then the education, when you go to a certain level and you start believing that when your your grades are consistently at 70 and 75 and 80%, I believe that, God, you know what, I actually, actually can do it and the confidence yeah. starts coming then with that and the self-belief and you're changing that belief that's ingrained into you. You, know, you start getting new age. beliefs then. Yeah. And then you start the challenge from my own experience. You start thinking, what other beliefs have I got that fucking, mm-hmm. that I could never drive with the opposite you. I was off the road for, you know, being in stolen cars when I was younger. So I, I, I thought I'd never drive, you know. Because you're like when you're off the road and then you're in in other rob cars and mm-hmm. you're off the, the band, the con- endorsements, you think of fucking hell. I'm never going to drive. But then in year two in recovery, 
the ban is starting to tick down and say, fuck it, we'll learn, we'll do the theory test anyway. And then before you know it, you know, you're buying a car or, you know, university, marriage, you know, these things, like having your own gaff, you know. It's like fucking things that I thought that would never happen, but they do happen. Um, but they'll only happen by challenging the perceptions we hold, you know, and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Do you know if somebody wanted to go to your event, is Facebook the best place to get you? You get me on Facebook, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get me on Facebook. Um, do you know for the practicalities of the event? Are they three days long? You said three days long. Are yeah. they up in Manahan Cavan? Uh, our next one's in February in Westport. Come to Galway. Westport, yeah, me own. Oh, me own, me own. Sorry, yeah, me own. <laughs> very important <laughs> classification. Yeah. No, we won't up there. Oh yeah. Were well, we supposed to go up there? Westport, where's some something about Westport is coming into my head there at the moment. There's, there's, there's a great story to where, um, where I'm running the the events down Westport. I wrote about a guy called Austin in my book. Um, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. I'll meet him someday. Lovely guy, like, but he's after building this retreat center. Beautiful place. I've heard. Yeah, ah. that's the same guy. Yeah, yeah. My brother Tommy was telling me he was up there and he said it was ah. something out of this world. It's yeah. it's an yeah. amazing place, you know. So we we were we we were the first ones in the door. Like I used to work for Austin years ago, like, yeah. and uh, look, it's it's an amazing place, you know. So that's what it is. Know, if, if people are interested, um, what can they expect? Is it like uh, meditations, talks, get-togethers? Look, it's, uh, look at, at this one here now at the moment, we, we get the people, you know, if they can, to go down on the tours the evening. Do you know what I mean? Land down the tours mm-hmm. the evening, chill out uh, and relax. Then, then then, the event starts on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, so, like, if you if you have a look at some of the testimonies, you, you'll see what some people yeah. ha- has got out of it, like, you know, yeah. but you'll just... Well, you were talking about forgiveness there, you know, it, look, that, that's one part of it, you know, but it's like a program I have designed, do you know what I mean, that'll go through each day, do you know what I mean? You'll just find yourself just more at peace. You'll also find, you, you'll find your, 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 your true potential. Like, yeah. you're, 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 that, that's my goal mm. to bring to the people, to like, get them to find that like, mm. in themselves. Like, because they hear me talk and they see that I can do it. Like, mm. But I show them exactly how I done it. And how, how, how they have to do it. And how, it also comes with, um, which is very powerful, uh, coaching sessions after, like, you know, it's really, the coaching sessions is really like, uh, mm-hmm. very important after, you know, because it keeps you, it keeps you up there. Excellent. And we'll put all the links yeah. into the description of the video and, and the podcast. The uh, yeah. And, and, and your book. To the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, congratulations on the book. Best yeah. of luck Thanks. with the second and your book. And the second book. Thanks to me. Yeah. yeah. The, ju- the, the, the journey continues. Absolutely. I know you're on the two now these podcasts, so it's all downhill from here, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you, you want you want to talk about? We're after asking you a lot of questions there now, but is there anything you on that's in the back of your mind that you'd like to talk about? No, look, man, uh, you know, I'm delighted to be here and uh it was actually I think it was Stevie McGowan was telling me about you guys. Yeah. <clears throat> so I came home that day and uh I put this on YouTube and I, and I see what you're doing. I swear to God, I just got a tear down my eye yeah. because this here is just so, so, Healing, so needed. Yeah. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? So what you're doing, guys, is amazing. You know what I mean? Thank That's, you very much, Julie. You know, Brilliant. That. No, thanks a million. And no yeah. people are going to watch this and they're going to be able to relate to you and yeah. we'll spread the message and yeah. we'll keep up. We have by giving it away, as I'm saying, and recovering. That's kind of what we're all doing here. So congratulations on everything you've done so far and best of luck with everything you will do and safe journey home.
Thanks, James. Thanks, Thanks. Joey. Thanks, Thanks very much for coming along. The you. pleasure meeting you again and chatting to you. Likewise. You know, and I mean that. Um, we see, we see everybody next week. See you later. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.